kind of feels like once we got to July 1st and restrictions ended and the best summer ever kicked off that, you know, the premier and the health minister kind of decided that they were really kind of done with COVID. And maybe a lot of us were, too. Things were going pretty good um, at the time. Uh, since then, uh, the premier and the health minister still seem to be laying low. A lot of the responsibility um, to communicating the province's response has fallen to the chief medical officer. Remember, she was the one who was out there making the announcement that, oh, by the way, we're going to stop routine testing and isolation requirements and all of that. It then fell to Dr. Dina Hinshaw uh, to then announce that, oh, we've changed our mind. We're going to push that back six weeks fell to Dr. Dina Hinshaw to explain how and when they were going to release some of the data that guided those decisions. And uh, even this week, again, still facing questions about where is that data? In the meantime, the premier remains on vacation and uh, we're not hearing a lot from them. Clearly, the situation is changing and not in a good way. Uh, the uh, case count yesterday was over 800 uh, for the first time since May. More troubling, though, uh, hospitalizations uh, jumped up yet again. We're at almost 200 people in hospital. That's about double where it was just a couple of weeks ago. So what does this portend for the fall? Now, Dr. Hinshaw intimated at one point that some of their projections suggested that we might see a peak in September, but what are we basing that on and how, how big is that peak? Anyway, joining us uh, for some thoughts just kind of on where things stand and some of the challenges uh, we're facing. And it's not just an Alberta challenge, clearly, as we look around the country and around the world. I'm very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Dr. Lenore Saxinger, Infectious Disease Specialist, Associate Professor at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Alberta. Dr. Saxinger, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the uh, policy change and then the reversal to the policy change with regard to testing and isolation requirements and how that's been handled and communicated. Uh, your thoughts on all of that? Wow. You know, I was actually really quite, I was surprised um, when that announcement came forward, mostly because although I think a lot of us, a lot of people in public health infection control kind of thought that the end game at some point would be moving to that kind of a status where mm-hmm. where COVID has become just one of the things. Um, I felt like the evolving situation was still a little uncertain to make that move at the moment. And of course, I don't have the same inputs as the chief medical officer of health. And For so sure. yeah. I wasn't quite sure what what had led into that. And I was really like, you know, before absolutely condemning it as crazy. I was really wondering about the inputs into the decision and whether they'd had some new modeling. Um, Because, you know, at at the time that that work was probably being done, it was kind of that golden time at the end of June and the first part of July. Um, But then as the announcement came out, we were already starting to see things climbing. And that seemed very uh, nervous to me to to be making a change with the background shifting already. Well, and, and uh, yeah, and I think, you know, to, to her credit, she says, you know, we recognize that things have changed and we're pushing back the decision, but, um, you know, only by six weeks. So if things continue on, on the path we, we seem to be on at the moment, well, what does six weeks from now look like? Well, you know, and that's actually really an interesting thing, because I think a lot of the, the discussions must have included what had been going on in the UK, um, because they were, they're always ahead of us with their surges of variants and then their hospitalization impact. And for quite a long time, um, we were seeing these case numbers increasing in the community, but the actual impact on healthcare system was really, really, you know, it looked like it was staying flat for a very long time before they started to see problems. 
Um, they were seeing cases, I think, mostly in younger, healthy persons. And it, it seemed to be, you know, when you're when you're in a system that's looking at healthcare system impact as one of the big reasons for change, it looked like it was it was actually not going that bad there. And um, but when you you know look at what's happened subsequently, it's gotten even more confusing there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that I'm trying to wean myself off <laughs> looking at other places to guess what might happen here because. There's so many differences in, you know, density of population and the under-vaccinated groups. And really, when I look at our current numbers, it looks like a really an epidemic of the unvaccinated. And our patterns of low vaccination are really, you know, they're going to be unique to Alberta. There's going to be smaller communities and some zones where there's lower vaccine coverage. And then within cities, there's going to be some networks of lower coverage that can be really complicated for different reasons. And um, and so I don't know if we can actually rely on the case number, hospitalization number um, remaining, I guess, like reassuring over time because because of that factor and how the spread is going. So I I would be really reluctant to say we should stop monitoring the way that we are because mm-hmm. we're already seeing some concerning signs with hospitalization, like the hospitalization numbers in in uh, 45 to 64 year olds actually are are you know fairly significant um and in eight and and 18 to 44 year olds as well like they're not having to stay a long time but there's lots of people who who are needing care and that's that's different that's a concern yeah and that's the thing and i I mean i get the idea that let's focus more on hospitalizations and maybe the case counts less relevant and for a while you know it seemed like okay we're seeing big increase in cases in particular amongst you know the the 20 to 29 year old age group and okay maybe that's not as dire if if that's not going to impact the healthcare system but for whatever reason we've seen some big increases in the hospitalization numbers and look at the government's point is that that's the more relevant metric then okay let's focus on it and it's not going well at the moment yeah, and I mean, I, I think that um, the non-reassuring trend to me would suggest that it would be unlikely that we would move to that plan in the fall. Because, I mean, the, the, the one thing that's going to get mm-hmm. even more confusing, I have to say, is we're also seeing an uptick in other respiratory viruses. And so, you know, people with cold symptoms that, you know, under COVID rules mean you have to isolate for 10 days or get tested. Um, a lot of those are going to be, it's going to be increasingly crowded with other viruses as well. Yeah. So there's going to be a fair amount of upheaval this fall. Um, and, you know, circling back around to what else we need to do, all of the protective behaviors like masking and hand washing and stuff will help reduce the chaos because it will also reduce the other viruses. And so and so I think the, the that feeling that a lot of people had that this is a home stretch and we're moving to a different place, I, I think that we have to defer that for the time being and really kind of focus back on core basics again for a while because I don't want to have a crummy fall. <laughs> no, I don't think any well, no of us do. I mean, it's not just right, me, exactly. But that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, it's it's discouraging, I think, if nothing else is what you're alluding to, because it, it kind of felt not that long ago that, that things were really headed in, in the right direction so that we've sort of taken this, you know, this this turn. It's It's depressing. It's frustrating, right? It's disheartening. It's all of those things. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think when you feel like there's a, the light bend, the tunnel is closer, and then you're like, nope, we're back into strategy. It is, it is disheartening. But it, COVID has really kind of shown us that it's a, you know, it is a strategic game. It makes a move, and we have to make a move. Um, I, I would say that the end is much closer than it was, and we know so much more than we did, and we do have good yeah. vaccines, but there's still there's still challenges, and and I think people want to kind of find that right balance of you know a decent normal existence and and protecting everyone who needs to be protected and so we're we're finding that balance again and 
and we just got to roll up our sleeves and keep going, I guess. I mean, you know, new uh, uh, vaccinations have kind of crawled to to almost uh, a halt. We seem to have stalled out a little bit there, which is also frustrating. But it also illustrates that, okay, look, there's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of Albertans that we can yet still reach. And and that could go a long way in helping us manage the situation. There's also, you know, the question of, well, could boosters help? This is, uh, I suppose, uh, more of a, a controversial question. I don't know where you stand on that. But, you know, your thoughts of where we still got some some tools at our disposal here. Yeah, so I mean, reaching that last group of unvaccinated people, I think that, you know, it's it's easy to kind of lump people together as anti-vax, but I think there's a lot of complex reasons for that. And I think right. we have to think yeah. about the groups differently when we're approaching it. Um, and the other thing is for a lot of people for whom the pandemic experience hasn't actually involved a lot of contact with COVID, um, the way the patterns are going right now and the way it's gone elsewhere, we might actually start to see more decentralized COVID epidemics and that might actually increase people's, you know, visibility that this is a problem. It is relevant to them, and they it might actually help in vaccine uptake if people um, are seeing that trend across the province. Because you know, you you don't feel like doing something that you've had doubt doubt associated with it through all the misinformation when you don't see the threat. But I think that we're going to be seeing the threat um, more broadly across the province. Um, which is a bad thing. But on the other hand, what you can do about that is get vaccinated. Um, and then for the booster story, it's kind of interesting. I think uh, a lot of the interpretation of the data that's driving that recommendation is still underway. And to my eye, I think there's real questions as to the value of a booster right now for most people, but for immunocompromised, like certain very high risk and specific immunocompromised people, I think it might be very important. Um, and we do actually have the capability here. We're actually quite lucky that we can track cases that arise after immunization extremely um, like in real time essentially and so if there's signals of trouble we'll be able to pivot um, one of the concerns about going to a routine third booster if it's not truly needed right now is is that it's basically sucking doses away from people who have nothing who have no protection yeah. um, and that also you know all the companies are working on a variant to boosters and it probably for me i'd prefer to wait for that version to come along honestly <laughs> so mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different pieces of uh, of that decision making but I, I think people shouldn't necessarily assume that we're not doing the right thing if we're pausing on the booster so in the meantime and, and, and going forward i mean it feels like whether it's guided by the province or not that a lot of the response is going to be i think to some extent a return to masking i think we're also seeing increasingly whether it be universities we're seeing pro sports teams elsewhere in the country concert promoters sort of moving in the direction of of you know vaccine requirements or vaccine mandates does it kind of feel like that's going to be the the one-two punch going forward you know, I think that can actually really motivate people, um, and and I don't think it's it's an unreasonable expectation at all because it really does increase the safety of any kind of a group event um, if if everyone's been vaccinated, and and so I actually like to see the evolution of this as kind of a social norm and expectation. It's what you do, and I think all the data right now totally supports that the risk benefit favors vaccination by a long shot. So it's not yep. it, it's not a it's a requirement that's firmly rooted in good science and experience. And so so I actually think that that will be very useful as well. And I'm, I'm supportive of all those measures, honestly. We'll leave it there. Appreciate the insight as always. Dr. Saxinger, thanks for joining us here this morning. Thanks for having me. All the best. Uh, that is uh, infectious disease, uh, disease specialist Dr. Lenore Saxinger, Faculty of Medicine, University of Alberta, and her thoughts on uh, where we're at in Alberta, where things are going here.